Championship Wrestling, bringing you great wrestling action, sanctioned by the NWA, National Wrestling Alliance. World Championship Wrestling is brought to you by Weeder. For equipment, nutrition, and information, Weeder is America's total fitness company. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are entering the month of September, and this is also the anniversary of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. We started this in September uh, about four years ago, I think, now, so... Happy anniversary to you. You too. Yeah, I I had really forgotten uh, how long it's been, so I don't know if it's been three years or four years. Time is uh, fluctuating at a different uh, pace in 2020, so I'm not really sure what's going on or how long we've been doing this podcast, but there you go. Uh, we started it in September. And uh, what do you have for us from the news desk this week, sir? Well, Vince McMahon says he now owns their names, not just their characters, their actual names. So he does not want them to have anything to do with Cameo or Twitch anymore. As it goes further into the Instagram stuff, like Braun Strowman uh, used his actual name instead of using the Strowman name and... That's a discussion that's coming up as to whether or not Vince owns that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that was a uh, something that came to light. So who knows? Who knows whether or not we uh, we see if Vince wins or they don't back down. But it's very interesting that he thinks he owns their actual names. I know uh, when Nicole Bass came in, Vince wanted to pretty much have her sign her name over to him and she refused to do so because she said that her name that is her actual name number one and number two the fact that uh she had ties with her name to the howard stern show and things like that and so she wouldn't do that and that was a big downfall i think for her I think she was punished to some degree, I guess, for not doing so, which is why she didn't have a very long career in WWE. Well, or not uh, taking a gimmick name because that way they can own the gimmick name. And uh, right. that was at a time when they had two uh, WWF at the time had gotten, you know, in the Attitude Era, they were coming off a time when they had all those defections to WCW and they couldn't do anything about it because Hulk Hogan owned his name before he was in the WWF. Macho Man Randy Savage was Macho Man Randy Savage before Rowdy Roddy Piper. All those defections, they didn't own their names. So they got to take their characters and their trade, their colors and everything else, all their merchandising. They can take it somewhere else and make money with it. So there was a big push uh, after all those defections to make everybody work under a gimmick name. And we're going to give you your name. That way we own it. And that way, when you leave, we can fuck you over and take it away from you. And so yeah. that was a big thing that they did for a long time. And it was only until fairly recently, outside of exceptions like John Cena or Batista or Brock Lesnar, they had a few exceptions in the early 2000s, but it wasn't until fairly recently where people were allowed to just have their own names or bring in their their gimmicked names that they had prior like i mean aj styles was wrestling under aj his real name's alan jones but he's been wrestling under aj styles for 
20 years at least. So typically they would bring him in and change his name. They, they, they go back and forth as of late with letting guys keep even their gimmicked name or wrestle under their real name or giving them a WWE branded name. They've gone back and forth with this name thing for a long, long time. What happens when they let you use your name or your gimmick name is that you lease it to them, I think. And so you have, there's some sort of agreement while you're working for them, they can market your name. Yeah, you can put your name on a t-shirt. John Cena's name can go on a t-shirt while he's working there. This issue, though, has more to do with the wrestlers making extra income on the side and the company not getting a piece of it. That's really what this issue boils down to. And in my opinion, it's really, especially on the cameo side, not so much the Twitch side, because I don't think WWE could put up a platform like Twitch, but with cameo, this is something that the WWE could have done many years ago. There were products similar to cameo uh, that kind of, I mean, they're still out there, but they kind of fizzled out. Cameos become this dominant thing where you can have a celebrity tape something for you. You pay them like 20, between 20 and like $500. I don't know how, how high it goes. And they'll send you a tape, uh, a message tape. They send you a video that they take on their phone or their computer wishing you a happy birthday or saying something about your sister or promoting your podcast. Yes, I've heard other wrestling podcasts pay people to do cameos to promote their podcasts whatever that money is split between cameo and the performer and the wwe doesn't get any of it well years ago when this idea was being done by other companies the wwe should have taken upon themselves to do it themselves and that way they could have had their hand in the pot the performer could get money both people would be happy and that's what they should have done, but now they've missed the boat. And as Brenton told me, if WWE had done it, though, it would have not been as cool, though. Because anytime WWE gets their hands on something, like, uh, for instance, that social media thing they had for a little while, Tout, it becomes uncool. Because WWE has a way of making things not cool. Because their owner is in his 70s, and he doesn't know how to keep things cool he doesn't know what cool is he doesn't he's out of touch with reality the man even in the in the 90s he had never seen the movie scarface so when razor ramon started doing the tony montana character he thought it was awesome he thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever heard because he had never seen the movie he doesn't he's not with contemporary culture he doesn't know what's going on if the wwe had done a version of cameo you'd have all these wrestlers having to do things in character in the videos and probably get their catchphrases over and and have a script that they have to go by. And so it would have just been a disaster is what is what Brenton told me when I I said, well, the WWE should have just done this themselves. And as far as the Twitch thing goes, I mean, that's something that the WWE is just not capable of doing. Like they cannot they they can't launch. That'd be like saying, hey, WWE, start YouTube. Or WWE, I mean, it's it's on that scale of of a project, so they're not going to be able to do that. But what this really angers me about, though, is this really, I think it's crazy for Vince to, to, to poke this bear because he's been getting away with them being independent contractors his entire life. This, this It's the lifeblood of his company, 
is the fact that these guys are independent contractors and he doesn't have to provide health insurance for them or anything else and he doesn't have to pay all the taxes or whatever. It's all, this is the lifeblood of the pro wrestling industry is the independent contractor status. And so it's always a very fine line and he's already, to in my mind, for years he's crossed it because they're not independent contractors. They can't just go wrestle for AEW the next day if they want to. No, they are. They have exclusive contracts. But now you're telling them they can't do projects on the side. Now, I get, I kind of actually side with Vince under, you can't use your gimmick name, like on Cameo. Like, Roman Reigns has a Cameo account. Like, you can pay Roman Reigns $200, and on Cameo's website, it said Roman Reigns. It didn't say Joe Anawahi or whatever his name is. So I kind of get his point there because if it's a gimmick name that Vince owns, okay, that's fine. But as far as doing it under your own name and doing it in your own free time, that's your right as an independent contractor. You are not an employee. You do not have to answer to them uh, when it comes to that. So I think Vince is creating unnecessary problems and cutting off these guys' extra income. A lot of these guys, there's only so much TV time. They're not running house shows. He laid off a ton of wrestlers earlier this year, and they need some income on the side. And so I think he's really... This is not a fight that he should be picking right now. But that's what he decided to do. And I'm very curious to see how this plays out. And if wrestlers actually, this might lead to, I'm not, I'll I'll never say never on a wrestling union, but I think the idea of unionizing or maybe taking Vince to court over something like this, this might be the tipping point. Because now you're starting to, I think, infringe on people's personal rights as independent contractors now if they're employees that's one thing but they're not and so yeah that's that's my take on it i just think vince is at especially at this time of economic uncertainty to be poking the bear like that is very very dangerous so uh what's your take on this i think that it is ridiculous to try to push the envelope i mean like Paige has made comments recently about all this because here it is. She can't work. Okay. She was doing backstage. You let her go because you pretty much ended backstage. So she's just sitting at home. Okay. And she's not getting any merchandise, uh, sales off of stuff. She's not getting t-shirts or any of that kind of crap. She's not getting, She's just getting the basic paycheck to sit at home. Why are you pushing the envelope for her to make it, you know, what, three, four hundred bucks extra a week to do a video? I think, yeah, I'm with you. I think you're poking the bear. I think you're pushing the envelope and you're you're just you're taking the water to the point that it's going to bite you in the ass if you don't stop. Yeah, even if you don't have wrestlers take you to court or wrestlers unionize or whatever, you're going to create a lot of upset wrestlers. And uh, regardless of how this turns out, you're creating upset wrestlers from everybody, regardless of uh, political spectrum they come from or whatever. I mean, AJ Styles has a Twitch stream. Uh, Paige was making money on Instagram videos or something. So, yeah, it's it's every performer back there, whether they engage in these extracurricular money opportunities or not, 
is going to be like, hey, what the fuck, man? Like, because, yeah, why not? There's zero reason for this. And so you're going to have a lot of wrestlers that when their contracts come up, they're going to say, now, you know what? I'll just cut my losses and go. Because even if I go on the indie circuit and never make it back on TV ever again, I can still get 100% of my indie booking money. I can still make all my merch money, 100% of that. I don't have to split it with the company anymore. And I can also make 100% of whatever I want to do on the internet. So I think you're really you're really setting yourself up for failure and uh, a very unhappy locker room. So yes. I think it's a, a very silly, <laughs> silly idea. Uh, we had two notable departures this week from the WWE. Uh, one a performer and one a commentator. We have we'll start with the commentator. Moro Ronaldo is not coming back to NXT. He has decided to leave the company. I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, if there was he had personal dissatisfaction with the company or or what was going on, but I for one. As someone who only took in the TakeOver specials, I wasn't a weekly viewer of NXT. I found Morrow's commentary to be very distracting at times. I, I liked it when he was calling the matches, but when he tried to force in his uh, pop culture references, when he would... And I love that he has excitement about wrestling moves, and he he loves it when the action picks up, but I don't need an announcer screaming about it, too. Like, I, I don't know. For me, like... I kind of like an even-keeled wrestler, a commentator, like a, a Jim Ross, who who can ramp it up, but only when it really needs to be ramped up. He's not going crazy for just a suicide dive or, or whatever. So I found Morrow's commentary to be a little distracting, and I like Moro Ronaldo, and he'll be fine. He still has a, a contract with Showtime for boxing matches and stuff. So I think he is the Jim Ross of this era in wrestling and i think that if they will sign him because tony shivani is going to have to go and do football so which we've discussed renee young she's on the border of if yes or no you know excalibur taz jericho they're, they're trying to find that happy medium of what they really want at the announce table if they put him and jim ross together and Jim Ross, because you know he can kind of calm him down to some degree. That's what he did with Heyman. Uh, well, they were two weeks into a Raw with Paul Heyman and Jim Ross. Jim Ross got him calmed down, and boom. That was a great team. I mean, one of the best WWE had. I think he put Morrow with Jim Ross on AEW. Jim Ross is there to try to control him and, and keep it somewhat together i think that that will be the greatest commentary team in wrestling today i think if aw ever takes the step of having a b show on tv which this past week it's it seems like it might be getting closer at least to the wednesday night war being over because nxt uh, aired on tuesday well they did a special on tuesday it was only one hour I think the U.S. Open was on USA or something, so they didn't go uh, head-to-head. Well, they did, but the NXT was on Sci-Fi. 
and they lost really bad. But now there's been some talk that NXT is actually going to switch nights to Tuesday instead of going head-to-head with AEW, which would be a huge moral victory for AEW. And if they ever take the step of having a B-show, yeah, I definitely keep Moro's name in the back of my mind for the the B-show or on Dynamite. Uh, I kind of think he wouldn't work out too well on Dynamite because I think Excalibur is kind of already in that role of knowing the wrestlers and knowing the moves and that being the... The I mean, because Jim Ross is is Jim Ross, but he's not as familiar with these newer wrestlers as someone like Excalibur, who ran PWG, runs PWG, and knows all these guys so well. And I think you would kind of have a clashing of, if Excalibur and Morrow were on the same table, I think you'd kind of have a clashing of the same kind of knowledgeable commentator. So... Uh, but if they ever do a B show, definitely uh, bring Moro in. I'm still I'm looking for my Mike Tanay, man. Uh, I'm, I think he's retired. I mean, he has not been uh, been seen. I mean, I'm still shocked that he wouldn't even show up to do like those Monday Night War specials on the network and stuff like that. I mean, he's been very much out of it, out of the industry. I mean, when he was done, he was done. So. The other big departure, and I know you're very sad about this, when Brock Lesnar uh, left the company, his contract expired, so he's uh, a free agent at the moment, uh, though it's been teased that UFC wants him for a John Jones fight. He might do that, or he might just sit around. Uh, at the moment, they couldn't really use him because traveling from Canada to Florida uh, for these uh COVID shows was just not going to happen for this guy. Flying in a plane is not recommended, and I definitely wouldn't recommend flying all the way from Saskatchewan, Canada, to Orlando, Florida. Um, So he wasn't going to work anyway, uh, so they just let his contract expire, and I'm sure that if things pick back up and they go back on the road, that they'll probably re-sign him to your dismay, but... For right now, Brock's not in the company, so congratulations. I am so saddened and so heartbroken to hear of him losing his contract and being out of the WWE. This is a horrible situation. Now, if you can take the sarcasm and realize that I was completely full of shit just then. I am happy as hell because this motherfucker didn't do a damn thing but come in, take money, and go home and only work three times a year, take the title because, God forbid, he doesn't have it, and then you have to go a show for four or five months without having the champion on it. I am happy he's gone. The son of a bitch does never need to come back. He doesn't need to go to AEW. He doesn't need to this. He doesn't need that. He needs to leave wrestling alone or get off his ass and start doing a full-time schedule. I mean, the man has made a lot of money. He is a star, and he can work when he wants to. So um, I don't think he's ever going to do a full-time schedule, even just a TV schedule. So I think if he comes back, it'll just be more the same. So, And I definitely think he'll come back. I don't see him going to AEW or anything else. It's either going to be UFC or WWE or just 
hunting moose in, in Canada. So well, why don't you just go hunt your fucking moose? <laughs> why don't you just go hunt your fucking moose? That's our new catchphrase here at the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, and finally, another departure, an unexpected departure, as these guys got released. It wasn't their choice, but the AOP, the Authors of Pain, uh, got released as. Uh, Razor had been out since March with a bicep injury, so he was actually injured. Uh, they had not; re- they had kind of made it a point to not release injured wrestlers uh, for the last several years. But this is the first time they've broken their own rule. They change the rules as they go, so uh, they fired uh, both Razor uh, and Akam, and uh, yeah, so the tag division is just they need to give up one of these tag belts because their tag team wrestling in WWE is dead. Uh it is deader than dead. Uh if you look at the current teams by, by their own doing. By their I know. own doing though. <laughs> it's crazy. They've done it to themselves. That's the aggravating part. Tag team wrestling, there is a market unlike any other for tag team wrestling. I would much rather watch a tag team match than a shitty singles match with two people that don't deserve to be in there. Now, I'm not saying that I, I don't like watching singles matches because some of the talent out there, most of the talent out there, is very capable of doing great singles matches. But there are some out there that are terrible. At which point in time, instead of then taking up showtime, I would much rather see some great tag team action. Yeah, in, in our review for this week, uh, I picked, a, it was a tag team match that headlined this old episode of World Championship Wrestling, and I gotta tell you, Patrick, I fucking loved it. I know it ended it in a DQ. Great. I loved it. Why can't it they? It, it's so simple. <laughs> it was so simple how they did this tag team match that we reviewed for our, our review this week, and and then I, so as I'm watching it, I, I remembered they released AOP, and I'm like, guys, this isn't hard to do. This is not hard. Like, how can AEW have such a good tag team division? How can everybody else figure out tag team wrestling except the biggest wrestling company in the world? It's so crazy to me. I just, yeah, I can't understand what it is that Vince or Triple H or Stephanie or Shane or whoever the fuck is in the back calling the shots right now. Why they have a problem with tag team wrestling. I can't get it. I can't grasp it. Yeah, and I tell you, it's more fun as a referee to work a tag match as well because there's so much more a referee can add to a tag match. Well, yeah, and I mean, like, tag team finishing moves are awesome. I mean, people go crazy when the Dudley Boys hit the 3D. Why? Because it's a cool finish that two guys do. Like Doomsday device. Doomsday device, heart attack, all that stuff gets over because it's cool. I, I don't... And having teams, and not just these thrown-together teams, like currently like the SmackDown tag champs are like Cesaro and Nakamura. They're great wrestlers, okay? But they're not a tag team. They're not... They weren't formed as a tag team together. They're just singles wrestlers thrown together. And even though at Payback, uh, Seth Rollins and, and Murphy wore the same... They wore matching gear, they're a thrown-together tag team... And when Seth Rollins goes on paternity leave, if he takes time off, I'm assuming he will, that team's going to be broken up. So that leaves us with basically the New Day and the Viking Raiders and uh, the Street Profits. 
you basically have three actual teams left on your roster between both brands. That's just insane to me. And then when they're on there, they're treated like jokes. They're battling ninjas. Yeah. They're playing basketball. They're they're. Why can't you just have a team that's badasses that go in there and put on good matches? I don't right. understand what the fuck is wrong with tag team wrestling. It's they're treating tag team wrestling. I'll, I've compared it before. They treat tag team wrestling a lot like they treated women's wrestling for a long time. It's almost like those the roles have been reversed, and we now we're treating tag team wrestling like the piss break match, and the the women's matches are main eventing. So, I mean, when was the last time a tag match main evented a pay per view? I mean, you'd probably have to go back several years to find just a straight tag team title match to main event a pay-per-view. Um, so, yeah, probably go back to an in-your-house or something like that. So I just, I hate it for these guys, but as soon as they got called up to the main roster, they ran into problems because they Paul Ellering didn't want to go on the road, so they lost their manager. Both guys didn't speak English. That's a big no-no in the WWE. You got to speak fucking English around here. So they didn't have a mouthpiece. Uh, they were kind of struggling. They got they got hit with injuries, which that happens. That's out of their control. Then they got thrown in with the Seth Rollins thing, the Monday Night Messiah. It looked like they were finally, they were part of a stable. It looked like things were going well. The injury bug hits again, and their momentum stalls. So, By the way, by the way, you bring up Seth Rollins. I hate that fucking gimmick. It is terrible. It's getting him nowhere. He had a great thing going, and now all of a sudden he's trying to act like he is God's gift to the savior of wrestling, and he's not. I hate it, and it is going to be the downfall of him working back all the way down to IC title or back down to jerking the curtain if he can't figure out something better and get away from that shit. Well, they're sort of light on heels on Raw, especially. And so I liked it because it was actually it incorporated the way he acted on social media that, I mean, he, he was very vocal on social media about getting into fights with wrestling fans and just being a troll on social media, even when he was a face as the champion and so I think I like it because that's what it, it basically it took his social media presence and brought it to life. And so I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, he's still a great wrestler. And I kind of like his group now that it's I mean, even though now it's just him and Murphy, it's actually elevated Murphy to at least get some screen time. And he's a, a great wrestler. Uh, yes. So um, I, I actually think it's it's gone fine. And. After he comes back from taking some time off, I'm sure they'll probably bring him back as a face. So I, I, I think it's fine. I think he he needed a break. Uh, Babyface Seth Rollins promos weren't really my thing ever. Uh, he's a he's a great wrestler, and uh, but when he starts talking, it's sort of like the thing that why I hate Dolph Ziggler so much. Dolph Ziggler's a very talented wrestler, but the second that he opens his mouth to do anything, I just instantly get sort of turned off and want to just go somewhere else. I don't know. But yeah, that is uh, the story of AOP and uh, I'm sure that they... I'm not not saying this because of Paul Ellering being with them or whatever. 
I think they really were the road warriors of today's wrestling. They had that massive build. They had that ability to just go out there and kick ass. And I would love to have saw a faction with AOP and Keith Lee. That would have been the normal four horsemen that they could have ran through WWE, got both tag titles. Yeah, that well, that would have been cool. Like Keith Lee is such a good baby face, though, at the moment. He is great. He is, and but you just have you have him, and you have that's a lot of mass. Yeah, yeah. Who the hell's gonna stop him? And you you can run with that shit, and you can have Strowman taking them on, and Strowman could own Keith Lee. But if you have AOP hopping in there to save him, boom. It's like, fuck, these three guys, you can't single one person out and do the whole four horsemen thing. And you could run that shit for two or three years. I think it would have been a great idea. Uh, No, I really like your idea. Just take a bunch of massive dudes that look like they can beat the shit out of you and just have them dominate people. And that's, that's it. And also, he can do the speaking for them because that, that was the thing. That's really, uh, I, I mentioned it many, many podcasts ago uh, about Vince Russo a long time ago saying, bro, if you don't speak English, you're never going to get over here. And, uh, you know, that might come across as racist or whatever, but in the WWE, it's turned out to be 100% true. And you see it time and time and time again. If you can't speak English, you can pretty much forget about ever getting to the top. You can get close, but there's a glass ceiling there. And it's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate because also they won't give you a manager. They don't seem to believe in managers that much anymore outside of Paul Heyman. And so you're just, you're stuck. And they, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll just fire you eventually for no reason. So um, I think uh, I think this was a bad call on WWE's part, and I definitely, definitely see them owning the independent circuit, whether it's ROH, whether it's New Japan, whether they would fucking own in New Japan. They would own ass in New Japan. They would love them in New Japan, too, because New Japan's all about, they love massive dudes. From, exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, Non-Japanese massive. Uh, AEW. I think they would be a good fit for the tag team in that uh, division in AEW. And AEW is very open to throwing mouthpieces with people. So, which I love. They're bringing the managers back. Um, uh, but yeah, no, they will definitely be okay outside of WWE. That is for sure, in my opinion. But um, I want your opinion on something. Your opinion on the fact that Roman Reigns has turned heel. Uh, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's a few years too late. I don't think he needs to necessarily be paired with Paul Heyman. But at the same time, Paul Heyman's a much better speaker than Roman Reigns is giving scripted lines now if they if they cut roman loose and let him actually go off script like they do to like john cena and randy orton and give them some leeway if they gave roman the same leeway i don't think he would need paul Heyman 
as a heel, but I think it's good. I think it's it's very, very, very good for SmackDown, especially, uh, and it's uh, what he needs. It's, it's what he, he's needed for years is uh, changing character, and um, I'm glad that they did it because I was pretty much convinced he was going to be a lifelong babyface uh, like John Cena after John Cena you know, quit doing the the basic thugonomics stuff and, and was, you know, uh, never give up John Cena. So I, I kind of thought it was just going to be the same for him. So I'm glad uh, since they are 100% committed to him as their, their guy, they've put all the chips in the basket. I'm glad that they have the guts to make this move. Now what I'm kind of worried about though is since he's paired up with Paul Heyman and if they re-sign Brock Lesnar I feel like this is just leading us to another Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns match and, absolutely and Roman Reigns turns babyface and we're just right back where we started so that's kind of where I dread that this might go but in the meantime it's going to be a lot of fun so it sucks for Bray Wyatt to have a one-week title run I thought that was kind of weak but I'm glad that uh, Roman Reigns is trying something new. Unfortunately, they gave him an awful opponent for the next pay-per-view. He's wrestling Jay Uso for the Universal title, which I like Jay Uso a lot, but this is stupid. It'll be a squash match. It's family, brother. It is family. Blood is thicker than water. Yeah, it's family, well, brother. Speaking of family, we get a bit of family action in this review of this week as I picked... The November 29th, 1986 edition of World Championship Wrestling. Yes, the classic 605, Channel 17, 1986, mustaches galore, squash matches galore. The classic World Championship Wrestling, still brought to you by Jim Crockett Promotions. So we get the classic World Championship Wrestling intro, which was apparently shot from the moon looking at Earth. So I think that was... A pretty cool intro. I actually love the music, and uh, it's a really cool intro. It's aged very well. World Championship Wrestling is brought to you by Weeder, uh, the leader in sports fitness or something. Tony Schiavone and David Crockett open the show, and they say they'll preview the Bunkhouse Stampede. This is coming off the heels of Starcade, and they're starting the Bunkhouse Stampede, which is like a monthly thing that I think they would run at house shows and stuff, so... Which uh, is a great match. It's a great gimmick. Yeah, so uh, you can bring weapons into the ring and it's a battle royal. Is that what a bunkhouse stampede is? No rules battle royal. How fucking cool is that? Yeah, so we're off the heels of Starcade and they're going to preview the bunkhouse stampede. And so pretty much every guy that comes up to talk to Tony tonight was just talking about what he'll do in the bunkhouse stampede. We start with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Uh, Jimmy Garvin, not very gorgeous. This is an ironic nickname because he is a very weird-looking, odd man. And uh, he's here with Precious. They enter the set. And Jimmy has been practicing whipping people with his belt. And how did he get into the bunkhouse stampede? He broke into Jim Crockett's house and demanded that he get in the match. So he committed a crime. And then he says he's going to walk out with all the money. Also, yes, in the bunkhouse stampede, it's all about winning money, which is something that wrestling's really gone away from as a stipulation. 
uh, other than money in the bank, which actually has no money or a bank. It's a suitcase. Uh, but he's going to walk away with all the money, and he kisses Precious, and he leaves. So that is Jimmy Garvin's contribution so far for the night. Well, wait here comes gorgeous oh, Jimmy Garvin, along with Precious. Oh, yeah, Kenny, take a look at this. Take a look at this here, will you? Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin had to put the sequence away for what's about ready to happen. I had to down the jeans, and I got to tell you, if you ever thought there could be nothing better than Christmas, you're wrong. If you thought there could be nothing better than gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, well, there's not nothing better than me. But I got to tell you, December, the bunkhouse stampedes 25 men in the ring all the same time. A whole bunch of money that we can spend. Oh, no rules and regulations. I mean to tell you, I got this here on. I've been practicing. I've been practicing how to whip off this belt. Whoa, pretty good, huh? Whip off this belt and beat somebody with it. I can't believe it. I got to admit to the fans, though, I was a little bit of a stooge. I was a little bit of a stooge. That's right. You remember I had to almost get front row seats huh, for Starcade, not for the bunkhouse. I camped out in front of Jimmy Crockett's house. And when I found out that he was signing these matches all over the country, I bust through the door and I said, Jimmy Crockett, you got to put my name down. Gorgeous Jimmy number one. Right, and I don't worry, Squeeze. I know you've been a little nervous about me yes, getting in this thing. Oh, I mean, just a thing about no rules or nothing. Don't worry about it, David Crockett. Whoa, I'm going to walk away with all the money. Oh, I'm going to take my breath. Okay, let's go to the ring. We start with our first match. It's Bill Dundee and Alan Martin. We want Sam Chance, as the crowd wants Sam Houston, who was feuding with Dundee at the time. They would not get Sam. Instead, Bill Dundee yells shut up at the crowd as he pummels Alan Martin. Dundee hits him with stomps and a scoop slam. He goes to the top rope and hits the bombs away, which is a really safe version of the coup de gras, as he's supposed to be jumping off the top turnbuckle and stomping your head, but he gets nowhere close. But, Patrick, if the camera is at the right angle, it looks really awesome. Now, for, yeah. for the live crowd, it looks like shit because they can clearly see that his legs get nowhere near this man's head. We don't give a shit about the live crowd. Yeah, There's fuck it. This is a TV show. Uh, so he hits the bombs away and gets the win. And then very cleverly, they replay the bombs away and cut away before he makes the connection. So uh, a very good... Uh, finishing move for Bill Dundee. I would not expect this to be this man's finishing move. When you look at Bill Dundee, I'm not saying his finisher probably comes off the top turnbuckle, but it does. Um, all these are squash matches until the main event. That's the format of old WCW wrestling. So just get used to it, folks. Jim Cornette walks in with the Midnight Express and Big Bubba Rogers. He says they're all going to be in the stampede working together to get the money. He also says they're not through with the Road Warriors, and uh, they'll take them down. I'm including most of these promos, so I don't really need to recap them that much. Everybody's talking about the bunkhouse stampede going on all month in December. There's going to be 20, 25 guys in the ring. Big battle royal all at the same time for up to $25,000. And everybody's going to have street clothes and everybody can bring what they want. It's just like a bunkhouse match only with 25 men involved. You know what that'd be like? It'd be like if you're going down Main Street, USA, and a brakes armored car comes right along and it hits a bump and outflies $25,000. And you got construction workers carrying two by fours and you got secretaries with their purses and 
and you got bankers, lawyers, doctors, Indian chiefs, everybody on the street, on the sidewalk, drops whatever they're doing, picks up whatever they can find, and goes to beating people in and around the face and head with it with blunt instruments trying to get that money off that street. Well, let me tell you something. What I have here is the greatest tag team in professional wrestling, the Midnight Express, twin sons of different mothers. They're not six feet tall and 250 pounds apiece. They're 12 feet tall and 500 pounds together. And back here, the baddest man in the world, Big Bubba Rogers, six feet eight, 357 pounds. And the three of them are going to be in those bunkhouse stampedes. And the three of them are going to be working in unison as one, going for all that money. Because as you all know, Tony Schiavone, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities out there if you know where to find them. They got the brawn, I got the brains, and we're gonna make a lot of money in the bunkhouse stampedes. And I wanna say one more thing before I go. Road Wars, precious Paul Ellering, we ain't finished with you yet. I don't care what it takes, we'll scaffold you around this country or maybe in the bunkhouse stampede. But sooner or later, Road Wars, you're gonna be finished in professional wrestling, and these are the men that are gonna do it. No more Road Wars, no more career, no more nothing. You got a hospital in your future, Jack. We'll be back right after this timeout. We take a commercial break and come back, and Jim Cornette is still there, still yapping on. This this time, Big Bubba's the only one that stuck around as Dennis uh, Condry and Bobby Eaton will take on Bill and Randy Mulkey as Cornette joins on commentary for this match as Mulkey Mania is running wild as Cornette taking the piss out of Hogan's catchphrase. Now, Love the Midnight Express. Patrick, I got one problem with them. They don't wear matching gear at all. Dennis Condry threw one of the Mulkies, this was Randy, out of the ring, into Big Bubba's arms. He used him. Bobby hits a big elbow off the top to one of the Mulkies for near fall. I thought he was going to do the Alabama jam, but he didn't. He did an elbow. The Midnight Express then catapult him through the middle rope straight to the concrete. Ouch. Condry then power slams him, tags Bobby in where they hit a double-team gut buster. And then Bobby does one of the most unusual pinfall covers I've ever seen where he stands on one of the Mulkey's arms and then he stands on both his arms and then holds his legs up too. So he's got his legs in the air and he's standing on his arms and he pins him to win the match. So uh, not quite a Chris Jericho, come on baby cover, but a really weird cover from Bobby Eaton to win the match. Brad Armstrong joins Tony. Brad hypes the bunkhouse stampede. He says it's a career-threatening match, but it's a lot of money. Then his dad, Bob Armstrong, interrupts. Christmas time is all about surprises. So Tony says, hey, Bob, come back and chat later. He wouldn't come back to chat later. Uh, but he had something else planned. Back at World Championship Wrestling, good to have Brad Armstrong back with us, Brad. Thank you very much, Tony. You know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, you know, and when Christmas time comes... It brings what they call the bunkhouse stampede, brother. What happens there is 20 to 25 men all in the same ring, dressed any way you want to, come as you are, brother, bring anything you want to. A lot of things are legal, and when there's 25 men in the ring at one time, anything can happen, and it probably will. You know, it can be a life-threatening or a career-threatening move to get into a match like this, but, brother, there's a lot of money involved. And when you talk about a lot of money, you talk about a lot of chances. People do a lot of things for a lot of money. And like I say, with a bunkhouse stampede coming up, a lot of money is involved. And I know that you, to move up the ladder, my ultimate goal is to be the world's heavyweight champion, Tony. And, but to do something like this, a bunkhouse stampede, is just one of the biggest things. What are you doing here, man? What are you doing? 
I'm sorry, Tony. Tony Schiavone, this is my father, Bob Armstrong. Bob, good to see you. Nice to meet you too. Good to see you. I just want to come by and say hi there. You know, Christmas is a time for surprises, and brother, I wanted to give you one. It's family time. I love it. Excuse me, please. Bob, Bob, listen. Get a chance. Come on back. Talk to us a little bit later on. Okay. Okay. Bob Armstrong, along with Brad. Good to see him here. Action continues on this program. Let's go back to the ring. The Barbarian versus Paul Garner is next. Now, Paul Garner is an awesome-looking jobber. He is the definition of a jobber. <laughs> he has no definition. He looks like uh, a camera guy that they said, hey, we need somebody to work this match, so do it. And so he's taking on the Barbarian, who's managed by Chattanooga's own Pez Watley, who was going by Shoshka. Sh- I can't say it. Shoshka. Shashka. Shashka. Yeah. Shashka. Wally. Yes. yes. Okay, close enough. Whatever. It's Pez Wally. I'm just going to call him fucking Pez Wally because it's Pez Wally. Pistol and Pez. Pistol Pez. That's right. Who I found out while I was watching and reviewing this show. I went to his Wikipedia page. I think he went to high school with my mom. I think he was a year ahead of my mom in high school. So That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's just weird. That somehow Pez Watley and my mom were in the same high school. I, I, I don't know. I asked her. Oh, if she, I asked her about now, it. She hasn't responded back. So now we need to go through some yearbooks. Yes. Yeah. Pez Watley. Pez Watley. His real name. Another guy using his real name. Barbarian boots the shit out of Paul Garner. Who while he's on his knees, Garner supercells a headbutt. Dropkick from Barbarian throws Garner outside so Pez can get a few shots in. Barbarian scoop slams him and he goes up top for a flying headbutt. Barbarian going off the top for a flying headbutt and gets the win. Then Pez does a promo after the match where he screams. He says both of them are going to make themselves known to the world when they go to the bunkhouse stampede. Dig it, sucker. Hey! Somebody around here stretching the friendship! Bro, let me tell you something. The Barbarian, that's right, Mr. Massive. He just come back from an Asian tour. He whooped so many Asians, they run him out of the country. So I want y'all to know that we, he's so bad, they talk about double awesome. He bad by himself, including me. So you know that we ain't going to do nothing but get down. And I'm going to tell everybody, you better be looking over your shoulder. And I do mean everybody looking over your shoulder for this pair right here because we are going to be taking care of business. And I'm going to tell you what, Buckhouse Stampede, that's where we, that's right, the Barbarian and Shaska are going to make ourselves known to the world that this is the most awesome reckoning crew that they ever put together and you know who I'm talking about I want you who I'm talking about to be the first one to see how bad we are show them that big barb that we gonna be taking care of business and another thing every one of you here Billings you gonna regret today that you made the Shaska man mad because I am the one that started I am the one that got the job done. And I am going to be the one that's going to see it all the way through. Every one of you. Dig it, sucker. Shaska and the Barbarian with us on World Championship Wrestling. More action right after this time. So uh, a young Booker T taking notes somewhere about how to end a promo. Can you dig it? 
We go to a commercial break, and then we get Tim Horner taking on Art Pritz. Tim Horner, a future member of the Lightning Express with Brad Armstrong. Horner does some deep arm drags. That's pretty much his only offense in this match. He sort of looks like Bob Holly in the face. He's smaller than Pritz, so he's actually smaller than the jobber he's taking on. Uh, Horner hits a nice-looking drop kick, then an O'Connor roll, a terrible bridge, which Horner had his own shoulders down, but it doesn't matter because the match is over. One, two, three, Tim Horner gets the win. The Kansas Jayhawks come in for an interview. That's Dutch Mintel and Bobby Jaggers, who they were using the name Kansas Jayhawks, which would absolutely not fly in today's society because that's the University of Kansas. That's their mascot is the Jayhawk. So you can't just take... I can't be the Tennessee Volunteers and go out and wrestle. Jaggers here retired in 91. Then he went to college, became an engineering technician for the Department of Homeland Security. So he uh, had a really interesting career after wrestling. He served in Vietnam and unfortunately passed away from Hep C, which he got in Vietnam. But that's the story of Bobby Jaggers, in case you're wondering. Dutch Mantel, we all know about Dutch Mantel. Mantell does the talking at first. He says he doesn't go anywhere without his whip. Jagger says he's bringing his boot and a two-by-four. I guess he stole it from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Their strategy for the stampede is for right to everyone to eliminate themselves. Then they'll hop in and beat the shit out of everyone. Bunkhouse stampede. Everybody going to be bringing everything in the ring to knock you out. Well, baby, I don't go nowhere without this little piece of equipment right here. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you one thing. You got 25 guys in there. But I tell you, you got to have a strategy in the whole thing, Jack, because you're going to have Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes. They're going to be banging heads with them four horsemen. And while they're banging heads with each other, we're going to be taking everybody else out. So what we can win with is a matter of attrition. When everybody else is gone, baby, because I know Nikita, Dusty, they're going to pound on them four horsemen. We're going to be pounding on everybody else. Jack, show them what else we might bring in that ring. I'm going to tell you something, Dutter. Dutch Mantell and myself have been in plain wings in Council Grove, Kansas, Daddy. And that's exactly what this is going to be. You're going to take plain wings and you're going to put it all over the country. That means if you want to go outside and grab a two-by-four, grab it, daddy. If you want to take a cowboy boot and you want to kick somebody, kick them, daddy. But I'll guarantee you one thing that's going to come down is there's going to be a few old boys walking out of the ring with a little bit of aid, if you know what I mean. Now, let me tell you something. You know Tully Blanchard? Rick Flair? You all look real good supporting this. So would you, Russians. And I'll tell you something, there's a lot of animosity in the ring when there's $25,000 staring at you, Daddy. And I'll tell you something right now. You boys out there, you four horsemen, you're a little greedy. Take a look around. Which one of you might club the other one in the back of the head with a two-by-four? Dutch and I don't care, because we're going to be doing a lot of clubbing ourselves, Daddy. Bunkhouse Stampede, Jayhawks know how to do it, and we're going to do it. Okay, the Kansas Jayhawks talking about the Bunkhouse Stampede coming up during the month of December. More action right after this timeout. We take a commercial break again, come back, and it's Don Kernodal taking on Randy Barber. And honestly, Patrick, I don't know much about Don Kernodal until this, this episode. I had never seen him, so I wasn't sure who the jobber was. Because I hate to say it, but they both kind of look like jobbers. Kernodal hits a neck breaker to Randy Barber, followed by a scoop slam. Tony and David talk about Nikita Koloff training him. Well, actually, Don Kernodal was trained by Gene and Ole Anderson, uh, not Nikita Koloff. Kernodal hits a power slam, goes to the top, hits a flying clothesline, which he calls the cannon. 
for the win. So Rock and Roll Expresser with Tony. The crowd chants rock and roll. And then Ricky Morton says they may have to miss the bunkhouse stampede due to injuries. And then they leave. Uh, Ricky Morton not letting his partner do any talking. And they just leave. And that's it for the show. They do not come back in any way. Cornette is back with Tony. He found a pumpkin with glasses on it, so it must have been directed at him. He's tired of the Midnight Express and himself being called pumpkin heads. Okay. Thanks. He puts over the stampede again. He'll chase the road warriors all over the country with the Midnight Express, and they'll get their revenge. Bill Tab and Phil Brown are here to take on the Kansas City Jayhawks. I can't get over how much back hair Dutch Mantel has. He is a very hairy motherfucker. We get a reverse elbow to Phil Brown from Jaggers, followed by a scoop slam. Dutch tags in, snap suplexes him. The Jayhawks make a lot of quick tags. Phil Brown finally tags out. Bill Tab comes in but gets double teamed from the Jayhawks. Tags Brown back in, but the results are still the same. The Jayhawks just annihilate these guys. Big elbow from Jaggers. Dutch then hits a second rope heart attack looking move to Brown, and they win the match to Jayhawks too. Even though this was a squash match, it demonstrates good tag team wrestling. They kept the guy in their corner. They made a lot of fast tags. I liked this match, even though it was a squash match. This was the second best match of the night. Both of, both of the good matches on this card were tag team matches. So goes back to what we're saying, that you can do tag team matches, and it's fine. Brad Armstrong comes out. He says he's got a match, but he'll scrap it if Bob will join him for a match. You see, apparently, either this was cut out of this network version or it was just supposed to, we're just supposed to know that it happened. Bob Armstrong was attacked with a garbage can in the back. How dare you, sir, especially near Christmas time. He was hit in the eye with a garbage can. So Bob says, I don't have my gear. He showed up in blue jeans, but hell, he'll take them on anyway. He accuses Dundee and Garvin, Jimmy Garvin, of being behind the attack. So I guess that's who did it. So realize this isn't my time right now, but I tell you what, I've got a match coming up here. I'm supposed to have a match coming up here, but I'm willing to scratch that match and forget it all. If Jim Garvin is listening to me, Dundee, Garvin, if you're listening to me, brother, I'll take you on either one of your tag. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm willing to throw that out, man, because the Armstrongs don't take this. You know, how you feeling? I feel all right. I got a nut on my head, but you know, I believe in payback. If he's going to deliver, he's got to take the, the right. what's good going coming to him right now. Now, I may be a little dizzy, but I got this. I got no wrestling gear. I came up here to visit, but I'm going to take this coat off, and I'll wrestle in these blue jeans and booty kicking shoes. If you can get them out right now, we'll go to the ring, and we won't have no more talking, and we'll settle it like it ought to be settled in the ring. Two on two this time. That's right. Let's get it on now. The Armstrongs get in the ring and wait for their opponents. Then Dundee comes out eventually. And screams at them, and and they and at first it's like, no, I'm not gonna wrestle. No, we're not gonna wrestle you guys. Fuck that. And then Precious says, I think you guys should do it. And so then they do it. So Precious is really the one in charge here. All four men brawl. Bob and Brad just clear the heels out. Brad rips Garvin's coat off. Knee lifts from Brad to Dundee. Atomic drop to Garvin from Bob. Bob rams Dundee into the post and slaps him out of the ring. And then Garvin gets thrown out of the ring by Brad, and the heels have to regroup. The match finally settles in as Brad takes over, but the heels double-team him. It's a sunset flip to Garvin, but Dundee saves the pinfall. Brad works a headlock on Garvin, and Dundee tags in and lays in some right hands before Bob right-hands him from the corner. Brad lands a drop kick to Dundee, and then Bob tags in, so the Armstrongs hit a reverse elbow to Dundee. Bob takes over with Garvin, headbutts him, chops him, 
Dundee tackles Bob. Brad and Garvin go at it until the heels team up, and Dundee hits an axe handle to Brad. Go, Brad, go, chants from the crowd. Bob gets the tag from Brad, but Scrappy, the ref, he didn't see it, so it doesn't count. Dundee drops another axe handle on Brad. More go, Brad, go, chants. A snapmare to Brad from Garvin, and he locks him in a chin lock. We have to take a commercial break, which I was furious at. Like, this is this match is just heating up, and they take a commercial break. They knew how to keep me locked in, uh, even though I would have been, like, uh, two months old at this point. Uh, Dundee comes in before they take the commercial break. We come back from break, and Brad is now suddenly in control uh, with Dundee. Brad and Bob then make a blind tag, so Bob takes over. Brad comes right back in and gets raked in the eyes by Dundee. Chinlock from Garvin to Brad. Precious distracts the ref and Dundee sprays the Armstrongs in the face with hairspray, I guess. But Garvin only gets a two count on Brad. Dundee slams Brad and Garvin boots him in the back of the head. Dundee lands a big right hand for a two count on Brad. Dundee misses his finisher. The the big stomp off the top rope. He misses it to Brad. But Brad's trapped in the heel's corner, so he's fucked still. Dundee goes for his finish again, but Brad gets away and drop kicks him. He hits a missile drop kick to Dundee, but Garvin breaks up the cover. Bob comes in to stop Jimmy. The match descends into chaos, and Scrappy calls a double DQ for no reason. And the match is over. Just as it was coming to its conclusion, I was really hooked by this match. This match really brought me in, Patrick. I was hooked, and I didn't mind... The DQ, because it made me want to see its conclusion. Unfortunately, I can't find the conclusion on the network, so I'm just going to have to imagine the rematch down the road. But I liked this match a whole lot, even though it was a fuck finish. But you can do those. You can do those from time to time when the match is good and when you want to see more. And I wanted to see more. So I thought this was... An awesome match. A lot of great tag team psychology by the heels for the most part. Bob didn't really get a lot of tags, but when when he came in, he added to it. I'm sure it was Bob letting Brad get most of the shine as he's the younger guy. He's the guy that the com- he signed with the company. He's the one that you need to promote, so he got most of the work. But Brad looked really good in the match. I just really enjoyed this match, and I didn't think I would. So uh, it really surprised me. We get a post-match interview with Tony and the Armstrongs. Uh, lots of babyface fire from Brad in the match. Uh, Bob says, oh, I'm not signed with JCP. I got to go do some other stuff, but I'll be back. And then Brad uh, says, oh, I'm out of breath. Well, yeah, because if you were in there getting your shit kicked out of you, you'd be out of breath too, Tony. Bob Armstrong and Brad Armstrong back over here with us now. Nothing short of a war. Both teams are disqualified. What a match. That's the way it should be. No two, no one-on-two, no trash cans. Just two arms, two legs, two-on-two. Let's go with it. Now, I got a lot of things to do in other places, but I want to tell you one thing, Brad, and I promise you, Bullet Bob Armstrong is going to be back with Jim Crockett Promotions because the war has just started. And when I get back, brother, we're going to finish the war. Bring what you want. We'll finish the job and carry you home. Brad, what an event. Now, stay right with us for a second. I know you're out of breath, but I know a lot of things are going through your mind. Yeah, I'm a little bit out of breath. 
If you had guys kicking you in the ribs and stomping you in the mouth every five seconds, I guess you'd be out of breath too, but I tell you what, I was brought up in a wrestling background and I'm proud as hell to be an Armstrong Jack. And I'll tell you one thing, I'll tell you this, Garvin, Dundee, if you ain't back there laying flat on your back, sucking wind, listen to this fella, I got something for you. Come on out here and take it. So the time limit don't call for it. So you want to jump in four on four, two on two, it don't matter as long as the odds are even, brother. The Armstrongs have a fighting chance. Let's make it a no time leave it, limit and just leave it so somebody can't stand up, if you know what I mean. And uh, he wants a rematch. And uh, that's pretty much it. We get a replay of the finish. The Bunkhouse Stampede starts Monday and all through December, so get your tickets now, folks. Credits roll, and we're out. So, Patrick, what did you think of this random episode of World Championship Wrestling from 1986? I enjoyed the hell out of it. One of the greatest main events, I think, that they put on on a regular WCW hour-long show that they have had in quite a while. Uh, if you go back and watch, they didn't put on too many uh, a year because it was more or less billed towards the pay-per-view or something along those lines. So this was actually very well done and very entertaining. No, I really enjoyed this episode of World Championship Wrestling because uh, it really reminded me of, it's actually kind of calming. All those squash matches and jobber matches, it's kind of nice to be have be calm. Uh, a calm viewing experience where it reminded me of watching old NASCAR races with my dad on Saturday or Sunday afternoons. And my dad would eventually fall asleep, but it was just calming. It was just nice to just sit around and watch, you know, non-offensive. There's nothing here that's, that's offensive. There's nothing here that's in your face. It's not going to keep you on your the edge of your seat. The main event will, if you can make it that far, but there's something kind of nice, especially about compared to today's wrestling, as fast paced as it is, as uh, much interference and smoke and mirrors that they do. It's kind of nice to see wrestling in a in a more pure form and kind of a basic form in a relaxed environment, a studio crowd. There's not uh, laser beams going off everywhere. I there's not pyro. I just there's something simple about it. It's, it's really re- it was really relaxing for me, honestly, to watch uh, everything up until the main event, and then the main event really delivered. I thought it was excellent. I thought just tag team wrestling at its finest with with the heel group, and and the Armstrongs looked good. I wanted to see more. I was upset when they went to commercial. I was upset when it ended in a DQ. I wanted more. They hooked me. They got me hooked, and that's the point of doing fuck finishes and then taking commercials in the, in the middle of the, to keep you hooked. And so I just thought it was an excellent showcase of how to book a main event on, on a, on a TV show, a TV main event. It's an excellent example of how to do that. It's a simple story. My dad was attacked backstage. We want vengeance. Let's do it right now. Okay. We'll do it. It didn't end it in a DQ. I still want to see the conclusion. You've got my money the next time you come to my town or you put it on pay-per-view or closed circuit or whatever. So I just think it's like, if you are hired to be a booker for a wrestling organization, whether it be at a gymnasium or wherever, I think you could watch an episode like this and just look at the main event and just realize that's what you need to do and just keep it simple. It doesn't have to be 
rocket science. We make it out to be so much... Booking is made out to be so much harder than it is. This is just simple stuff here. This is square one basic stuff. So I really enjoyed it. And I didn't think I was going to enjoy it, so I got I got turned into a believer here because I, I really had my doubts going into this. I put it off until the last minute, as I do with most shows, honestly. But I put this one off until the last minute thinking it'd be a drag. But I really enjoyed it. So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, definitely one of the best, uh, like I said, that they had done in a year's time because they don't give too much, like you were saying, but they give uh, enough to make you be like, ooh, I got to see more. And on this occasion, they gave they gave you almost the entire thing, but then took it right back away. And it was like, oh, you son of a bitch. I definitely need to see what in the hell is going to happen? Because these two, these four guys are not done. These two teams, they, they're they going to go at it. They've got to find a final finish. And so, yeah, it was done very, very well. Okay, so on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank this episode? This uh, It was apparently a two-hour broadcast, but... Cut down to 53 minutes on the network. So like I said, there might have been a segment where they showed Bob getting attacked with a trash can. It was just cut for some reason. So, Because I, I doubt, I highly doubt, as successful as TBS was and Ted Turner was, or I guess at this point it was still WTCG in Atlanta, I doubt they put an hour of commercials in there. I just don't see that happening. An hour of wrestling and an hour of commercials. Uh, so a lot was cut, but... On our rating scale of Hornswoggle Giant Gonzalez, this episode, this November 29th, 1986 episode of World Championship Wrestling, what do you rank it? Uh, a Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> and that's a little heavy-handed, but uh, the rating system doesn't really matter. I'm going to give it, in honor of him, a Bullet Bob Armstrong. So uh, there you go, since this was all picked because he was in it. So there you go. That is our review for I'll do, this. I'll do, I'll, I'll do a Brad Armstrong. How's that? Oh, nice. Sad. Both of these guys gone already. Um, yes. So, Patrick, that was my pick for this week. Where are we going next week in the Retro Wrestling Podcast? We are going to see the debut of a man in our rating scale. We are going to see the debut of one of the biggest men to ever step foot in a wrestling ring. The debut of one of the shittiest wrestlers of all time. We are going to go to Royal Rumble 1993. Ah, yes. I believe I know the wrestler you're alluding to, but we'll talk about that more in our review for Rumble 93. Now... We have seen a different guy that's sort of like this guy. His name was El Gigante. Uh, so we have seen him before, but we haven't seen his alternate version. Uh, so that's what we'll be seeing at Royal Rumble 93 and the debut of another guy that would really personify pro wrestling over the next decade uh, in the WWF, the guy that was uh, the next Hulk Hogan was going to debut at this Rumble, and he would drive Bobby Heenan to the point of um, nearly climaxing on, on the air. So uh, we have a lot to get to in Rumble 93. That'll do it for this week. 
As always, you can go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code retro wrestling and get a month for free. Where can they find you, Patrick? Uh, Facebook at Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling. You can find me on Twitter at Ref Patrick Young. Uh, I'm always more or less on Facebook, open to answer any and all questions. And you can definitely reach us on our Facebook page. Me or Alex will be able to answer any requests you may have. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. It was in the late 70s. We were about to have a match for the Southern Heavyweight Championship. We were standing in the ring facing each other. Suddenly he stepped past the referee and looked me square in the eyes and he said, Kid, anything goes from the nose to the toes. And he meant it. In his prime, if somebody said he's faster than a speeding bullet, they weren't talking about Superman. They were talking about this man. In an era defined by regional stars, few competitors could match the remarkable success of Bullet Bob Armstrong. Bob Armstrong is certainly one of the most popular wrestlers in the United States. Armstrong's marine-bred toughness and bodybuilder's physique grabbed the attention of fans and promoters alike in the late 1960s. There you saw the tremendous strength of this man Armstrong. And over the next two decades, Armstrong's fiery ring personality would make him a household name throughout the South. Watch this man in action. Truly a Georgia tornado. Whatever you do, you don't want to make Bullet Bob Armstrong mad. Armstrong beginning to explode now. I am not afraid of anybody walking, and that includes who I'm standing with. When they said, Bob is coming to town, it was like a barn raisin. Everyone showed up. Crushing facial injuries sustained in the early 80s would have felled most athletes, but the bullet quickly rebounded, forming a championship tag team with Son Brad. Good teamwork by father and son. In fact, all of Armstrong's sons would achieve ring success. Oh, you didn't know? Making Bullet Bob one of the most prolific superstars of all time. An impressive legacy for an extraordinary star. WWE is honored to enshrine Georgia's own Bullet Bob Armstrong into the Hall of Fame. Our next presenters just happen to call the Bullet Dad. Welcome, would you please, Brian, Scott, and Brad, the Armstrong family. Oh, you didn't know? You better call somebody! Cut the music! Home sweet home, Atlanta, Georgia, welcome to the dog house! We 
you know me, me, that D to the O to the double G, always shot calling, white trash balling. Come on, y'all, and make some noise up in here. You're damn right. Now, at the risk of breaking character, I want to shoot on you guys for a minute. I want to thank a lot of people, and I'll get it out of the way quick. I want to thank the WWE Universe for always supporting my family, not only when we were on the mountaintops, but when we were in our own personal valleys as well. So, so thank you. I also want to take this opportunity to thank the WWE, the company, the WWE, not only for this opportunity to stand right here tonight and induct our father into the Hall of Fame, but also opportunities they've afforded us in the past. So thank you to the WWE. And like Hacksaw, I too am a proud American. My father and I were in the United States Marine Corps, and though it's not real cool in the media to cover it anymore, there are still men and women in uniform over there fighting for the very security under which we do this thing here tonight. You know, 50 years ago, and about 20 miles north of this very venue, our father became engaged to two entities. One was our mother, Vita Gail Adams at the time. She is the adhesive unit that's held this family together through it all. Mom, would you stand up, please? She's the real heavyweight champion of the world. You know, the other entity he became engaged with was this, this industry right here, sports entertainment industry. And after 50 years, he still loves both of them, and the proof is in the pudding right here tonight. They both still love him as well. I don't know what else to say. I thought a bunch of crap up to say backstage, but I'm nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, and I just don't know what to say. You, you, believe it or not. Do what? Yeah, get, well, you better call somebody. No, we can leave all this part. We can leave all this part on the editing room floor, can't we? Thank you. No, you know, watching that video, the promo package that they put together of my father, uh, all through my career and probably my brothers as well, we all thought we were uniquely gifted. We thought we had something special. But when I watched that video, I realized that we stole every bit of it from our old man. You know, I've never been, never been prouder to say I'm my daddy's son as I am right now. So I guess I said all this just to get to this part. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, tonight the Armstrong family proudly brings to you the newest inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame, our father, our hero, Bullet Bob Armstrong.
Four score and seven years ago, our four, no, wait a minute. You'll have to take this ring off my cold, dead hand. No, no, wait a minute. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Cook, yeah, no, wait a minute. I got to get this right. I do sincerely want to thank the WWE for this Hall of Fame induction. For an old war horse like me, it means a lot. I'd like to thank my sons for that great introduction. Thank you, boys. My number three son can't be with us tonight, but his heart's here, and our hearts are with him. We'll see him soon. I thank, thank the lady that has been with me for over 50 years, and boy, when I think about it, that's over half a century, five decades. She raised five boys, that includes me. <laughs> she picked us up when we were down, set us back down when we got too big for our britches. And I was told in later years by my oldest son, Scott, that she had the best wrist lock in the business. Because <laughs> when they started dropping elbows on each other from the kitchen table, suplexing each other on the living room furniture, putting holes in our home with their elbows in the back of their head, trying every move they saw Dad do on TV. When she had enough of that foolishness, she applied that wrist lock. And brother, she was open for business. <laughs> and I want to thank Gail. I had, the, I had the easy part. I just had to ride the roads and wrestle. But my wife, Gail, has stood with us all this time. She never gave up on us. Look at you boys now, baby. <laughs> WWE Hall of Fame WrestleMania. It don't get no better than that, brother. And if it did get better than that, my heart couldn't take it anyway. Now, I know most of you folks remember the first professional wrestler you ever met or the first match you ever saw. I'm going to date myself here a little bit and tell you I remember my first time like it was yesterday. The year was 1945. World War II was just over. I saw the frowns on my parents' faces turn to smiles. But there was one man that was taking this nation by storm. It wasn't the president. It wasn't politicians. It wasn't any generals. It was a man called Gorgeous George. He was a master showman. And when he came to our small town at that time of Marietta, Georgia, he made sure that he sold out the house by going to a ladies' beauty parlor. And take my word for it, in 1945, if a man went to a ladies' beauty parlor, he could get shot, hung, or both. But he pulled it off. That night in Marietta, they had the biggest crowd ever to be in that building, a record that was never broken. I begged my father, I pleaded with him, please, Dad, take me to see Gorgeous George. So he finally gave in. We had to park way away from the building. It seemed like we walked a long way on my little six-year-old legs. We finally got to the building, and you couldn't even get close. But my father knew a policeman there, and uh, he edged us up to the front door. 
And when my father whipped me up onto his shoulders, I could see the ring perfectly from the bottom rope to the ceiling. And when gorgeous George entered that ring, I really thought I was seeing an angel. He was dressed in gold from his head to his toe. He had gold pins just peppering that beautiful platinum hair. And to me, it looked like he was floating across that ring, back and forth, back and forth, people out of their minds. I was petrified. All at once, when he started and got through strutting his stuff, he took one of those pins out and threw it out into the audience. And I'm here to tell you folks, that's the darndest fight I've ever seen. Women were screaming, men were cursing, bodies were flying over that one gold pin. When the policeman finally got it all separated, an elderly lady came up and she had captured that pin. So when they helped her into that ring, she had blood running down her face and the biggest smile I've ever seen when she raised that gold pin and said, I got it. <laughs> God bless her. Well, from that time on, I was hooked. All I ever wanted to be was a pro wrestler. I think somebody up there likes me. I got to live my dream. For seven years, I fought fire here during the day and I wrestled by night. But one day I had to make a decision. And standing here in front of you tonight, I think I made the right decision. I don't want to keep you all night, folks, but I appreciate you listening to an old war horse. And I'll say, may the good Lord take a liking to each and every one of you. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. Good night. <laughs>